Hey everybody, it's Al Condalusi from the Interdependence Network, and you're listening to the You Can Call Me Al podcast. And uh, thanks so much for for tuning in and having an opportunity to think together with us as we explore ways and means to um, inclusion, uh, macro change, and opportunities for people to be full participants in in community. Um, today we have really really fun conversation with Kimberly Gavin. And Kimberly is a friend of mine um, uh, from Brockville, Ontario, but, but Kimberly has really worked um, all through uh, Ontario and, and, and in fact through, through Canada. She's uh, an, an outstanding um, advocate and, uh, um, and facilitator of uh, new and exciting ways that we can help families and individuals with uh, with uh, disabilities be be full participants in their community. So, Kimberly, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, Al. It's exciting to be here. Great, great. Kimberly, you and I have been, been um, friends for, for a while. We've done some work together, and um, you've really had a long career um, as a disability um, uh, advocate, uh, working with families and individuals experiencing disabilities, what what got you what got you started in this field? How did you how did you make your way into the field? Well, I wish it was some sort of magical answer about a calling, uh, but it really wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. I just started. I tripped into a job at a local community living, but I think. Um, I was in some way meant to to trip into this job. I needed a job. I'd graduated from university and, uh, you know, I had student loans to pay. So, but when I was in high school, I had organized um, a bit of a student walkout protest type thing. And uh, Hmm. it was over an issue that I thought was really important, social justice issue at the time. You know, the grade 11s weren't going to be allowed to go in the car rally anymore. (laughs) I I organized. And being in grade 11, I thought that was completely unjust and decided to organize a 1,200 student walkout. And for my punishment at school, I was um, told that I would spend the next two weeks supporting the special education class. So that Hmm. was how I was being punished for organizing a 1,200 student walkout. Um, But little did they know that that would sort of light fire, right? Uh, I knew that when I was with those students in that class, students that I didn't know and who weren't known by the rest of the school, that something wasn't right about that. They were tucked away in a different Mm. part of the school. Nobody knew of them. Uh, They Mm. were, you know, a group of our, our student population that weren't known. And so I didn't know what to do about that, but I think that that sort of planted the seed and started the fire. So, Wow. Wow, what a what a what an interesting sort of um, route. The the notion that somehow some way um, you were going to be punished by spending time with uh, people who had disabilities, uh, and yet that that in, that entire shift in you know in you and and all the energy that that you were bringing then and continue to bring today um, uh, towards um, the justice of inclusion. Uh, that's that's really a great story. Now, you had um, you had spent time with Community Living Ontario 
um, a state or a province-wide um, uh, organization looking to support all the various. Tell us a little bit about the community living system in in uh, Ontario. Sure. So um, I've been with community living straight out of university sort of thing at different levels and ended up, like you said, at the provincial organization for the last decade or so. And um, my role there was to go into different communities and um, ignite some excitement about new projects and new initiatives and and also to be creating opportunities for family leadership in the province. And the community living movement, um, you know, each of the provinces and territories belongs to the Canadian Association for Community Living. And there's the provincial and then there's local in different regions. Um, mm. So every town is connected to a community living and then to a much broader movement. Mm. Uh, so I was really lucky because, as you know, Al, you and I have... Um, travel parts of Ontario together, um, but mm. I was able to go to different little nooks and crannies of our province and and be having this conversation with folks about building welcoming communities and, and how are we all connected to one another and, and what can we do to strengthen that. So that was, uh, it's a great opportunity um, and that landed me in Brockville eventually. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, community living Brockville uh, and some of the things that you're looking at now that you're, you know, you're, you're kind of feeder on the ground in a community um, as the director of a community living entity. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the, uh, you know, community living Brockville. Sure. So our organization is just a little bit different than the other community livings, and we even have a different name. It's Community Involvement. So it's Brockville and District Association for Community Involvement. And the reason um, we are called Community Involvement is we don't run traditional services. Uh, we basically are helping people to be thinking about their role in community and supporting people to be active contributing citizens. So who do you know? Where are you? Where are you contributing? What are you involved in? What difference are you making in your community? How are you having fun? Who are you meeting along the way? Where are you learning? It's all of those kinds of conversations. So it's a little bit different. It's a real, um, the association is really about uh, tapping into the abundance of natural resource and community. And then we use our supports to shore people up so that they can do that. Yeah, well, it's a it's av uh, such a forward-thinking model. You know, I think most of the the folks associated with uh, the Interdependence Network, um, which is really a kind of a worldwide coalition, um, usually think about uh, this from a service delivery or a providing direct supports point of view, and yet um, the work that you're doing in Brockville is really um, it has really evolved beyond that in terms of uh, in terms of the, its impact. Can you tell us a story that would um, illustrate that a bit a bit more as an example that perhaps one of the listeners might think about, you know, attempting or considering uh, in their own uh, service delivery system? Sure. So. Um you know, I think when we're supporting people, uh, we tend to look at the menu of things that we offer. 
And so if somebody comes to your association or to your organization, you kind of look around and you say, what do we have to offer? Um, and we, we, at that point, I think what we do is we close our eyes to the, the richness of resource that's out there uh, that's typical, that's normative, that we can help people tap into. So instead of, um, you know, it would be very easy for us at community involvement, there's a lot of young people graduating from school. So it would be really easy for us to start a program or an initiative where we bring people in to the community involvement uh, organization and we offer them some programming. You know that, I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's easy, but it's it's a typical right. kind of response. That's exactly where, right, yes. Yeah, so, but what we say is that our job is to become part of community conversations that are happening for folks in, in our community all people in our community and we need to find ways to make sure that those places and spaces are open and welcoming and so it means really good support to accompany a person to explore Um, you know people don't know what they want to do until they've tried a whole bunch of stuff right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you know me thinking that I could figure out what a group of young people graduating from high school could need and then build it and have it in my office or in our in our building doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But I can look at the normative route that young people take after school. They try a bunch of stuff. Um, they get some part-time jobs or they pick up some courses or they want to build a new network of people around them. So, or they want to make a contribution to their community in a civic kind of way. And so we look at what's typical and normative for all of us, and then we create that around people. Yeah, wow, Very, that's really, really exciting and innovative. And, you know, there's obviously other, um, uh, other examples of things like that, but it really, uh, it really um, you know, shows this out of the box kind of thinking. And, where, where do you see this going with uh, with the work you're uh, you're doing in Brockville? What what what's you know what is out there in front of you um, using this model? What tell us a little bit about strategically some directions you see it going? Right. So I think there are always going to be um, in any community the place where you can go and register and sign up for a program and that's that's fine the lots of people want and want that and and can explore that but there isn't the same um, energy going into helping people to connect to the community conversations mm-hmm. and opportunities mm-hmm. so that's what i think our niche and our our obligation to folks is is to um, provide just as much support and energy into that um, perspective and so I think the challenge will be that, um, you know, we as communities have always felt as though there was a, another place or space for people with disabilities and, you know, that that's where people go. And so I think as long as there are programs that when we're trying to access something typical in our community, people will say, oh, well, this isn't where you go for that. There's something over there for you. And so I think the presence of uh, traditional services or typical programming can become a barrier for us 
well, an obstacle for us that we need mm-hmm. to kind of get around. Um, mm-hmm. Because people see people with disabilities when they are in separate programs as more different than alike. And so yeah. we have to try and undo that somehow. Yeah. Uh, so that's always going to be a challenge for us, I think. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, we're up for that uh, because mm-hmm. we really believe uh, community involvement that our community will be richer and um, if everybody's contributing. And so without the contribution of all, um, we're less than we could be. And so I yeah. think that's, yeah. that guides us, right? Yeah, yeah. Exciting uh, perspective that that you know the interdependence network is um, is so you know focused on is really shifting the paradigm from you know the congregative sort of pre- preparation kinds of programs that are often uh, out there to you know to something that's that's more organic and something that's more about community and and um, you know the 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 approach that you're outlining is uh, you know really captures that and, and and I wanted to just ask this from a um, you know we you and I've had lots of conversations um, over the years and and I remember um, having a conversation with you where you shared some experiences that you had when you visited Africa or at least some awarenesses that you that you got when you were in Africa, and I, I believe it was Kenya that you had uh, been visiting. And yeah. Uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that that experience in Africa and what you learned uh, that has informed your work today? Well, I'm really glad this is a new audience because people who know me well are kind of tired of my African story. Um, so. <laughs> I love the chance to to tell it again. Uh, So back a few years ago, I I wanted to attend the Inclusion International World Congress and had wanted to do this for years, and it was going to be in Africa. So I was pretty excited that I was going to get to go. And what happened was just a couple of weeks before the trip, there was some civil unrest and some bombing that was happening in Nairobi, and so the event was canceled. So I called the people up and said, I really still want to come. Is there any way I can do it? And a colleague and I went together. And the folks uh, from the Kenyan Association actually organized a little bit of a study tour for us. So they said, Kimberly, what do you want to learn about? And I said, well, I want to learn about um, education, how kids get education who have disabilities. I want to learn about families how families come together and what does family networking look like there? And I want to learn about self-advocacy. So they were pretty excited to organize this little tour for us. And I could tell you an exciting story and learning from each of those, um, those topics. But mm-hmm. the one I think that moved me most or that I learned the most from was when I went to meet some families in a village uh, in Mount Kenya. And people had walked two or three hours to come to see, to meet my colleague, Linda and I. And so that was pretty impressive. People don't drive five minutes to come see me. So for people (laughs) who walk two hours, I was was pretty excited. And when we arrived, um, it was a small concrete kind of square building, tiny, uh, about the size of somebody's garage. 
And there were people singing and dancing, just how you would imagine uh, an African celebration. And mm-hmm. when we went inside, uh, we sat at the front. We were seated at the front with a translator. And then a number of um, grandparents brought in their grandchildren. Because in Africa, for various reasons, a lot of children end up being raised by their grandparents. And so children, young people with disabilities, were sat in sort of like the front bench. And uh, one by one, people were introduced to us. And it was more like a presentation of the person. Mm. And I'm sure lots got lost in translation because I don't speak a whole lot of Swahili, very little. And, <laughs> um, and so people were presented. And so the first young man, um, his grandfather nudged him and he stood up and uh, they basically said his name and they said um, his brain doesn't work and mm. he is going to be a welder. And then they said he will weld the locks on the gates for the goats. And mm. I thought, wow, that's an interesting introduction. Mm. And then they moved to the next young woman who was presented and her legs were broken or something. That's how it was translated. And then they said, and she is learning to sew and she will do the sewing and the mending in the village. And then the next person and the next person. And that's how people Mm. were presented. And I Mm. thought to myself, isn't this amazing that people are being presented in terms of the roles that they will hold in their community? Mm. So it was how people were going to make a contribution was the the thing that was most exciting in the presentations of of folks. Yeah. And I thought that is really neat that we're already yeah. thinking about contribution and roles. Right. Yeah. And so that was that was really interesting to me because then the second part of the conversation was about the other grandparents and the villagers talking about what they were doing collectively to make that happen for that person. So we're talking about people who don't have money, who don't have resources, who um, don't even necessarily have enough to sustain them in terms of food and shelter and whatnot. And they're all Mm -hmm. chipping in and contributing to the success of another. And Mm -hmm. so they were finding each other, one another in each other's stories, which I think was just amazing. Yeah. Because that's how they were building community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it was almost, uh, you know, just seeing that that everyone everyone has something to offer, um, and really looking at you know how those roles can be can be played. Um, what a what a beautiful and sort of proactive, positive sort of initiation. So unlike. Um, the kinds of experiences that we have in Western culture, where we look at the deficits and and then you know we 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 have no real agenda about the role somebody will play. It's more about let's fix this problem. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the week, it was really interesting because I sat with the woman from the Kenyan Association to Senta, and she said, you know, we really value uh, the the wisdom of the West was what she said and she said um, 
we want to know, are we doing it right? Because I had not met the self-advocacy group. I had been to Little Rock Education Center, a fully inclusive school in the slums of Kibera. Like we had been to some amazing places. Mm-hmm. And she said, are we, are, are we okay? Are we on the right path? Are we doing the right thing? And I just, I was so overwhelmed um, by the question. I said to her, well, Jacinta, when, when I met people here, they were talking about the contribution that they wanted to make and how they could help each other to make that happen and how they were going to be involved uh, in supporting each other. And I said, mm-hmm. and families were coming together that way in that context. Mm-hmm. I said, when, when we gather families, um, in where I live back in Ontario, I said the very first question after a workshop is, you know, you'll hear families saying, well, what do you have and mm-hmm. how do I get some? Yeah. And it, yeah. and it's not about, it's not about supporting each other. It's like, what did you get? How did you get it? And how do I get it? Yeah. And I said, it's yeah. a totally different conversation. So are you doing it right? <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> wow. Gee, Manise, what, what, what an interesting innovation. Now, you know, and, and I think when, when we look at and think about, you know, we've, we've had many conversations about social capital and about, you know, relationships and how, how relationships really matter in, in attitudes. Um, but, you know, there's something that's so kind of indigenous about that that story you just shared in terms of how people were presented to you from that village that that tribe if you will that sort of cluster of people who knew each other who who already had uh, this this sense of connectedness and within that context really we're finding ways where where everyone can contribute uh that uh, that what t- speak a little bit to your experiences in Africa, Kimberly, as it relates to social capital. Did you, you know, uh, how did how did it get in? How did that phenomena, you know, that sort of relationship, friendship, framework of social capital, how how did that get um, illustrated to you in the experiences that you had there? Right. So I. I I didn't know of social capital as a construct before. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was there in Africa, I was just thinking, isn't this amazing how they are coming alongside each other and Mm -hmm. the strength that people have because they're in a room full of other people who are having a similar journey. And, but then they're also inviting others into their lives and and then joining others in their lives and so there was this real relationship piece that really kind of caught me and I came back really thinking okay so this isn't Africa you know Ontario is totally different and sure it can happen there that way for all kinds of reasons and so I was thinking so what did I learn that I can that can keep me sharp here and keep me focused mm-hmm. here. And it really was about the strength of people when they come together. And so, you know, the work that we're doing in at community involvement is really about creating space for families to come together, to be inspired mm-hmm. by one another, 
to share the challenges and the successes and the journey and but also to help them be thinking about not an us and them for in terms of the people that are around them supporting them um, but uh how do I build allies and champions around me and so mm-hmm. where are my allies and my champions and how do I how do I invite them into this story and so that's how it kind of translated back here was that a real focused effort on creating networks and creating space for families to be together because I think that when they're in the room together magic happens um, they're able they trust each other they're they feel safe with each other um, and then they can talk about and challenge each other about you know where where is your network where's your tribe who are the people mm-hmm. you're bringing in? Um, how are you connecting mm-hmm. to the other community conversations? Where's your presence? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it became about like who else is in this story, and if there mm-hmm. isn't anybody, then that's our starting place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, um, it, it, it's really intriguing to think about the. Um, when, when we look at other cultures, um, you know, I had some some opportunities to uh, uh, to do some some exchange in um, Australia and in New Zealand, and and really kind of looking at the different temperament of the culture, the temperament of of uh, of the culture of Kenya, um, differing obviously from the temperament of the culture of Canada or the United States, and uh, the the uh, the ability to sort of trust in um, you know f- trust in families and the the the, the natural sort of um, you know positive thing that can happen you know I'm sort of t- as as I as I was listening to your your um, you know a- 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 expl- explanation of of the kinds of things that you saw when you were in Kenya, it, it, you know, it really caused me to think about how systems in certainly in the United States and I think certainly in Canada as well, um, and how they they're sort of um, uh, framed to really in in many ways. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say adjudicate but you know they 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 see the what they have as a very finite uh, resource and and consequently you know they see families uh, you know wanting to get what other families have and and that there's you know that we have to kind of take these resources and divide them up um whereas uh, you know your experience uh there with the, the the togetherness, the strength of togetherness that you that you talked about playing out, and I, I just wonder if there's some challenges that we have in order to uh, to move forward with the the kind of model of um, uh, of empowerment, if you will, of families um, within the constraints of the of the system we we, we currently have to deal with where sometimes systems don't trust 
uh, families, or perhaps they don't think the family really knows what they need or what they should have. What What's your thoughts about that, about, you know, sort of trying to trying to take something that's that's more organic and, and really sort of basic and then try to see that get absorbed in a in a culture that maybe perceives things in a in a different way, perceives it in a limited way or in a in a way that the the family doesn't really know what's best. Right. Your thoughts on that. So when back to if we go back to Kenya and Nairobi, at the end of that week, you know, it was really interesting me to for me because the one thing that we were doing here in Canada, in Ontario, was people were waiting for service or waiting for resources um, or advocating for service and resources. And that story of what happened in that, that village that day, what I learned was that there was nothing coming. So they weren't waiting. They were getting mm. on with it. And so... Mm the conversation that I have here with the people that I know now is that, okay, so there's never going to be enough resources. There's never going to be enough money coming for programming. Uh, there's always going to be a struggle with having the right people and, and all of those things. But in the meantime, what are we going to do? And mm -hmm. so in the meantime, that phrase for me creates the space of let's do something now. Let's, let's, yes talk about what we can do and what's possible. And if you start to get people down a path of some excitement with some imagination about things that they can try and be doing now, you know, I think the waiting um, kind of becomes on the back burner because people just mm -hmm. get on with it. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be the need for resource. I get it. I totally get it. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. that if we're waiting for the programming and waiting for the money, um, we're missing so much opportunity to make connections now, build natural relationships, seize an opportunity or a moment, and, and do something exciting. Um, and so mm -hmm. for, for me, it's about that. It's about just getting out of that conversation about money and resource mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. back into the conversation about community and opportunity. And let's take some risks. We'll safeguard yeah. you. Let's just take yeah. care of us. Let's try some things, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, good, good. You know, this this conversation. You know, hopefully for folks that that have an opportunity to to plug in, um, is really about the here and now. We're 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 talking with um, uh, Kimberly Gavin uh, from you know community involvement in Brockville. Ontario uh, about the strength of togetherness and and how you know addressing kind of the the here and now um, is really uh, you know our greatest sort of contribution. Obviously, we continue to look at other things and we think about other things, but but you know the here and now is with us and and so. Uh, uh, so they, uh, the the stepping forward to uh, find ways, um, even without necessarily formal resources, uh, to create a community where where everybody belongs. Uh, Kimberly, thanks so much for 
uh, for sharing uh, some of your insights, uh, some of the things that you're doing in your work, some of the things that you've learned on the path uh, of community. Well, thanks, Al. It's, it's been a pleasure. Always great fun to chat with you. Call anytime. Thank you so much, Kimberly Gavin. You're